0: All right, it's DT Systems, dog-tested and dog-tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O 1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O 1820. Dog tested. Dog. Hashtag man's bass kennel, it's Gunner Kennel's baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry, and one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the Fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like, it's hot out, we gotta keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all-weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. Have you wondered if you want to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in. Links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks, Gun Dog Chronicles. I'm excited to bring this episode to you. It's a little different style. We have three guests, each individually recorded, without any prior knowledge of what the other person is saying. We got the pterodactyl, Blaine Tarnecki. We've got Adam Campbell from Hillside Kennels and the Doghouse Podcast. Hopefully, you guys all know him. And we've got my buddy Oscar Mora. He is a talented uh like competition bite dog sport guy, uh, competed at the highest levels in the bite dog world. He's the judge at canine street league, and he is also a renowned. Dog trainer in California. We are all four of us individually going to talk about collar conditioning. So we're taking everybody's opinion on the collar, their methods of starting collar conditioning, and what the finished product looks like, the why, the how, the when, and the benefits of all collar conditioning. So you're getting four opinions, four super knowledgeable, well, three, I don't want to include myself in this. It's kind of rude of me, but super knowledgeable dudes all talking about collar conditioning. I want you to think about this while you're listening to this episode. I want you to think about the slight differences that we each have. I want you to think about the overall 30,000 foot view of collar conditioning that we all have, meaning the why. Um, And I want you to see what would work best for your comfort zone, what would work best for you and your dog to get to the end product of a very obedient, very well understanding of what the collar means and how it can progress and move you and your dog to the next level. So without further ado, I need you to do me a solid. If you enjoy this podcast, please Go to patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. The link is in the description. Join the community. We have happy hours where you crack a beer with me and talk dogs and hunting and training. Uh, we've got it's more one-on-one with me. So you get more attention from me to help you with problems that you're having with your dog or or next steps. Um, it also gets you discounts on all our all the gear that you know we sell and provide and help with. So patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters jump on there, support the show. Next up is the website, LoneDuckOutfitters.com link in the description. We want you to go there, get some gear. We're revamping things for 2023. So there's gonna be new products on there as well. So stay tuned for that, but check it out, support the show, support the Lone D. We appreciate you. I love showing up to a hunt test or getting tagged in a picture on Instagram and seeing someone repping the hoodie, repping the hat, um, if it's just, it's a really cool feeling. So uh, check it out. I hope you'll find something that you like there. Um, and lastly, our force fetch course has been well received. I'm super thankful and appreciative to everybody who's jumped on the force fetch course and helping them help their dogs through the process. It's step-by-step. Step. It's me teaching you how I do it. It's theory. It's showing different dogs, different personalities um, start to finish, so that you can do it and feel confident. Link to that course is in the description as well. Next up, Purina Baby from the duck blind to that holding blind. Uh, we feed our kennel dogs the thirty twenty. Uh, the puppies up to about a year old are eating their Pro Plan Large Breed Puppy Formula. Um, tons of great minerals, vitamins, all the stuff that your dog needs to replenish all the hard work that they're doing during training and hunting season. We keep them on it year round. It is just the real deal. So Purina, baby. It's the food that fuels the truck, a lone duck. Next up, always innovating, always made in America, Gunner Kennels, hashtag man's best kennel. Their new product that I'm really pumped to hear about is their cold weather door. And when you pair that with their all-weather kit, Come on, man. I'm up here in central New York. It's wet, snowy, cold. And if my dog's in my gunner kennel, I want to make sure that they're warm. So after a duck hunt, they're not getting chilly on the ride home. Um, if you're going to the duck hunt, if you're going to a, anywhere, man, put them in the gunner kennel, keep them safe. But this new magnetic. it's the the cold weather kit mixed with the cold weather door holds that heat in. Um, it's a magnet so it's not like you got to get a new door it's a magnet that goes over top of your existing gunner kennel door and it it just helps keep that that body temperature in there to keep them warm in the winter months so always innovating get in get out quit messing about next up shoot or shoot baby I'm pretty excited I'm gonna go on my last hunt with Cat and Ethan and our buddy Peter out to Nebraska. We're going to shoot some geese, and I bet I'll be slinging some bismuth. Mm-hmm. Bismuth. As I just mentioned, a little segue into Standing Stone. Um, Great folks, great trainers, excellent YouTube channel. If you haven't checked them out, they're on YouTube, Instagram, everywhere you find dog training. They're popping up everywhere, but their supply company, Standing Stone Supply, Any gear you need, they got it. Check them out. We appreciate. They support us. If you guys need anything, hop onto their website. Support them too, please. Next up, Traeger Grills. You know we got to smoke them if you got them, baby. We got to roll a little smoke, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I've got some elk burger thawing out for my dinner tonight, uh, courtesy of one of my clients. Big shout out. Thank you. Um, So, I'm going to be having some elk burger on the old Traeger Grill tonight, and I cannot wait for that. Makes me a good cook, even though I know I'm not. So, if you think are like me and you're not the best chef, add a Traeger Grill to your garage and let it rip, baby. Lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective, they keep us in tune with you, and you in tune with us. All right, let's get in the show. First up, Pterodactyl, Blaine Tarnecki from Hudson River Retrievers and the Brown Dog Academy on Patreon. And he's going to talk to us about his methodology and his beliefs on collar conditioning. Uh, Blaine, kick it off with why do you collar condition a dog?
1: Safety first. Number one, if someone wants just obedience done, I want the dog to come back to me when I call it. When I say here, I need it to come back. So dogs, you know, somebody bought a little frou-frou pet dog and, it runs around wild, doesn't it listen to them, collar condition it to hear. I've just probably saved that dog's life in some moment. So, you know, safety, but also for our process of gun dog training and hunt test training is, you know, having that tool to be able to correct the dog with perfect timing out in the field at 200 or 300 yards, where older methods of running out there and getting them uh, aren't as a, aren't as effective. And so timing is critical. And I feel like the e-collar gives me the best shot at the correct timing for a correction. Yeah. The invisible leash, right? Right.
0: Right. Describe your process, start to finish of collar conditioning.
1: All right, here we go. First things first, sit. And so sit is the most basic fundamental command and probably the most important command Uh, in dog training regardless of your goals at at the end we need a dog to sit and so we can get a puppy at four or five months old we've done treat training we've taught this dog to sit to be rewarded with the treat a little scratch on the ear a little kiss but anyway we teach it that way first and then we have taught the dog to walk on lead I've got my little blue rope I use it for everything Uh, we've taught dog to walk on lead it may not walk perfectly at heel but it is used to having the leash on it and before i'm going to collar condition i'm probably going to stick condition and i'm going to use the leash and i'm going to use the stick as the first form of correction on the dog uh, with the pulling up on the rope Um, but once i know that dog does know what sit means uh, pretty well with the leash on um, with or without treats with or without the stick and i can pull up on this rope and get it to sit down then we're good And then I'll bring out the collar and I'm going to start at the lowest setting on the collar, regardless of the dog, and got to find out what is this dog's threshold, working load, where can I get to with this dog before it wigs out on me. And so I'm going to start the lowest setting and I'm going to have the leash on for control at all times. And I'm going to say, sit with a tug on the leash at the same time as I push that button. And I'm going to use the continuous. Uh, I'm not going to do a nick. I'm using continuous until the dog puts its butt on the ground. When the dog's butt gets on the ground at that exact moment, boom, let go. And so I'm looking at first, how is this dog responding to the collar? Is it freaking it out? you You know, you can see it on their face. I don't want them shaking their heads and convulsing the first time. So that's why I'm starting on a low one. And as I progress and we're going to walk around at this point, we're not just going to sit in one place. I'm walking around the kennel, walking around the yard, and we're going to up the ante a little bit and we're going to go to maybe a high one. And so hopefully the wind isn't too bad right now, but we're going to go to a high one and we're going to, you know, see what the response is. But the key is when I say sit, you put your butt on the ground and we're trying to instill in this young pup for the first time that I can turn this off by obeying daddy. And so when they learn sit turns off that collar pressure, you start getting a snappier sit when I'm, I know I'm done with sit when that comes out of you, like the S has just come out of your mouth and they're plastering a little butts on the ground and they're trying, they're doing it ahead of the pressure and beating the pressure. And I can, you know, they might be walking over there with the leash still on sit and I can get them to sit, you know, this thing's only six, eight feet long. But they're that far away. They sit down and we're good. I'm going to continue to do sit for a while. I'm not going to call my dog to me when I start teaching the remote sit next. So we're taking. to, I want the dog to sit. Let me walk away a little bit. You know, if it does, gives me one second. Good. I walk back over, give it a treat. Try to extend that a little bit further, extend the time. But we're still using the collar to get that sit. And there might be some intermittent, just quick set, set while I'm walking away from them. so to just to reinforce, that's what I want you to do. But I do not want to call that dog to me because then I'm going to lose that remote sit and they can't do those two things at the same time. So I get that really good. I want them to be able to sit without the rope on them. I can walk around the kennel. I can do what I want to do, but they're going to sit. And I do it because when I get to T work where I'm at right now, I want them to sit down and let me go put them bumpers on the piles and not them running around chasing bumpers. And so we're doing that. Um, After I've got that sit really, really well, then we're going to go to the, we're probably going to do a little heel work uh, before we do the here. Because if you think about it, the here is so opposite of that remote sit, it's going to create some confusion, either one or the other. And so, I'm going to go and we're going to do more healing work. We're going to have that dog beside me and I'm going to use the same rope. And I'm probably going to have a prong collar on this whole time. There's going to be a prong collar attached to it and we're going to walk at walk heel. And when that dog gets out in front of me, it's been used to the prong collar kind of bringing it back. But now we're going to add the collar pressure from the e-collar with the prong collar. And so it's simultaneous because they understand the prong collar So I'm going to pair it up with the collar correction now and teach them the same way we did sit. And so I think it's important to always, when we're starting with a collar, to pair it up with something that they understand. Um, And it makes it a little bit clearer for them all the way through force fetch. So we're going to do that with heel. Then we're going to jump into here. And that's, that's the best day of a dog trainer's life when that dog is collar conditioned to here because now I got a little bit of control of that little sucker when it's running around and playing and farting around and we've got work to do. And so the easiest way I know to do it is I go to the, bunk, the hitch on my truck, uh, my trailer hitch, and pretend this is the trailer hitch. I got the rope around it just like this and I clip this to the dog. I'm not going to clip this to the e-collar. I think that's very important. Do not clip to your e-collar because you don't want that strain pushing those points down further or pulling them away from the dog and getting inconsistent corrections. So I'm clipping it to either the prong collar or just a flat buckle collar. And I am holding the dog back with this end of the rope. And the first couple of times, I'm going to have a treat in my hand because they are freaking out sometimes. They don't know why I'm being held up against this trailer. Uh and so I'm gonna call him to me. I'm not gonna hold, I'm not gonna give any resistance. I'm gonna let him run to me, get a treat. Do that a couple times, and then I'm going to start with the here and the collar pressure. The same way I did with sit and heel. We're starting at a low setting. We're seeing if the dog will start understanding. Oh, he wants me to come. And I'm still gonna have that treat in my hand. So let him come to it, turn off the pressure when they get to me give them a treat, good dog. And I'm not worrying about when they run to me, I don't care if they jump up on top of me, tackle me. I'm not worrying about coming to me and sit down and we're teaching here at this point. So just learn, get your little butt to me as quick as you can. And so as we do that and we progress through that, I'm gonna start holding resistance with this rope. I'm gonna say here, I'm gonna hold the button down and I'll do a continuous, not every single time until they get to me, but sometimes it will be continuous. And so if I'm holding that rope, I know I'm getting in their head when they are fighting to pull that rope and get to me instead of fighting to get under the truck or what we call uh, not bugging, but bolting. You know, they're going to try to bolt. They're trying to get away. And so I can't let them get away. And so if that becomes a consistent problem with the dog, I'll put another rope on that collar that I can pull them to me. And so there'll be two ropes and you're, it's like a puppet master. And so you got one holding them back and one that can pull them forward if there's confusion and they're not coming to me. And so once I get past that confusion point, if we do, we don't, you know, that doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't even happen very frequently, but it does happen. So it's worth mentioning. Um, once I've got them fighting against that, you know, and, and doing all they can to get to me. I'm going to give them some freebies. I'm not going to do it every time. Like I said, I'm not going to do continuous every time. I might say here, give them a little pressure. They start to me about halfway here again, give a little bit of pressure and and just make them work through the pressure like we're doing forced to pile. And so we're getting them coming to me good with that. And once I've, once I, and that takes maybe two, three, four sessions maybe at the most, get that done. And then I'm going to make put a longer rope on them. And we're going to walk around the field, walk around the yard. We're going to be just playing, throwing bumpers, letting them run around and play. Um, If they're just, you know, easing around, I want to be close enough where I can get that rope if I need it. But I'm going to say here and see what happens. And I'm going to give them some collar pressure and get them zooming over to me, dragging that rope. And like I said, I'm going to be close enough where I can, you know, use my ninja skills and grab that rope really quick and pull them to me. Here, here. But typically, you don't have a problem at that point. If you did it good, you had good sessions with the uh, truck hitch, um, usually once you start that, and that's going to be a light stimulation because you don't want to just go crazy right away, and then they will bolt, and, you know, you're going to start presenting yourself more problems. Um, but those are for, you know, for obedience, what I'm going to do. I don't think collar conditioning is really finished until you finish swimming by, really, because you're using that collar conditioning, you know, forcing the pile, I'm conditioning you with the, coll- the collar to go to that pile, to sit on the whistle, to handle to the piles, to, you know, and to swim by into the water force. I'm still using the collar. And so I'm still, you know, collar conditioning and force fetch are going hand in hand, you know, until we're, you know, through swim by and doing cheating singles. So it's a long process, but the basics, you know, sit, heal and hear are fundamental, most important things that you're going to do with your retriever when you get started.
0: Absolutely. What age do you typically start collar conditioning?
1: Typically, I start as young as four months, you know, four, five, six months old, depending on when I got the dog. You know, if it's my own dog that I've had that I've been doing treat training and obedience with without the collar, then usually at four months old, they're ready to roll with it. Um, If I get a dog in at seven months old, then we're going to do the same treat training. And we're going to start the same way, regardless of the age of the dog and kind of just sense maturity levels. But, you know, typically with that low settings on sit, you can get that sit knocked out pretty early in life, uh, in my opinion.
0: Very good. Um, One point that I would like your opinion on is. We are at the beginning stages of collar conditioning, sit, heel and hear. These have all been taught to the dog with a treat at a at young age, with the leash, with the prong collar, with the stick. You've already taught these commands, so they have a basic understanding. You're not just jumping right in with a green dog who doesn't know anything and and going to work. You're building a little bit of understanding,
1: Absolutely. right? Right. Cool. And that's why I said, regardless of the age of the dog, when it comes to me, we're going to still do treat training. You know. Yeah. No great. Matter what.
0: Now you had mentioned let's let's take it to just obedience. So you you'd made the comment that you believe collar conditioning is more done, is complete complete in the retriever world with swim by and that whole like six, eight, ten month process of building that young dog. But if you just have an obedience, when do you think that light bulb moment is that someone would see in their dog that says he or she understands what this collar means.
1: It's different with dogs, but I think, you know, I think in the first month, end of the first month, if done right and consistently and every day, you ought to have a pretty compliant dog with the collar. I don't think it's not a, it's not a long, hard, tedious process that some, you know, make it out to be. And it's not scary if you start, Low and and move your way up, but you know six to eight weeks, and you can have a very, you know, a well-behaved dog that will respond correctly to the collar.
0: What uh What are the benefits of of having a completely collar conditioned dog? You kind of touched on it.
1: Yeah, we touched on a little bit, but it's it's having that control over my dog at all times. We did a a a for a lady just recently. She hikes. She likes to fish. She goes in the mountains. She does things like that in the outdoors. She wants her dog to go with her everywhere she goes. She doesn't want to drag a leash while she's trying to fish in the river. And so now she's got a dog that walks with her that when she's walking down a trail, she doesn't have to have on lead. It stays with her. It doesn't go running off. If it does want to chase a squirrel, here, and the dog comes back. Um, And so it's it's just having a compliant, well-mannered dog that's not going to just act like an idiot all the time. that's, you know, number one. And that, that, you know, gives us the basis for what we do. We, you can't teach a dog anything else. If this, if the little sucker doesn't want to listen and focus on you. And I believe that e-collar will, you know, begin to, to teach that dog focus. And, you know, I've got to pay attention. You know, this thing is always on me and it's always on my dog's own training. We had a discussion the other day with a guy, do you, you know, how often do you train without the collar? I was like, I don't, um, you know, I want that collar on because I always want to make sure that dog doesn't get away with something. And so, you know, the same thing in, in obedience process, the collar is going to be on. Am I using it every time? No, but it's there in case of noncompliance. And if I'm not getting compliance, then I've got a tool now for me, for the owner, for the owner's kids, for whoever, so that this dog is going to listen and pay attention and, and be a good companion.
0: Anything. Oh, uh, one last question. When you're collar conditioning, how are you feathering the stimulation levels up and down? You you said that you start out low and build up. Do you, and you find that threshold, that normal working level, do you scale up and scale back down? Do you feather that?
1: Yeah, I do. And, i find that good working number. You know, I know every dog on my trailer, when I jump them out of the trailer, Hey, we're putting this on a three to get to begin with, or we're putting on a one or a six, you know, depending on how big of a knothead they are. But you have that, that start temperature, so to speak. But I also will jump up higher because I want it to be very black and white. And so, Sometimes the harsher, maybe the, the correction or the penalty for not listening, for not sitting quickly, makes it ingrains it in their little minds better that, oh, this thing can hurt. This thing can be uncomfortable. I've got to comply. So I've got to build up a little bit higher than normal sometimes to make sure that it is completely black and white, that I really mean sit when I say sit. And so same with here. And I'm going to go above that threshold from time to time to make sure that the point is coming across. Now, obviously, you're not just going to dial it all the way up first time and, and, and just blister your dog. Um, it's still, I'm not going to go to the highest level. I'm going to go to the highest level that this dog can function and respond correctly and so it's it's so individualized per dog and you can't ever give advice to you know someone calls you say hey you know what number this thing goes from zero to 128 what number do i need to use for my dog you got to figure that out you know that's why you take the slow baby steps up until you see all right now he's really uncomfortable i'm not getting anywhere with this dog like this and so let's tune it down a little bit but I'll go up and down when I'm doing pile work. You know, sometimes it's going to be a, just a high one. Sometimes I want you to roll through a you know a high two or a low three, and make sure you understand. Go get that bumper. Go to that pile. And so, you know, I've seen it when you if you don't do that, the, those moments where that dog stops or pops or comes back to you, then it doesn't understand that higher setting. That usually is going to make them run back to you in response to the here that you taught before. And so that's why I'm going to, you know, go up and down. It's never always going to be the same.
0: Yeah, I do the same. Awesome, man. Anything else you'd like to add?
1: No, sir. Just be careful. You know, if, if you're close to a, a good dog trainer, whether it be an amateur or pro, seek their advice if you're worried about it. Um, I know there's tons of videos on it. Just, you know, take a time, take it slow. You know, watch the dial, make sure it's at the right setting before you start. Sometimes you get you turn it the wrong way, you turn it up too high by accident. Right, check your check your remote. Um, it doesn't take but a second to look down. Oh, wait a minute. Somehow got it up to seven. I don't need that. You know, make sure you, you know, you play it safe and have fun.
0: Awesome, Blaine. Thanks so much for your time. And uh we'll catch you soon, man, when I get south. Thank you. All right, everybody. That was Blaine the pterodactyl. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Taranaki Hudson river retrievers with his perspective on collar conditioning appreciated his insight. Now let's jump into Adam Campbell. All right, Adam Campbell from Hillside channels and the Doghouse podcast, man. Come on, you're here. We're going to talk about collar conditioning. Um, I want to get into it. Why do you collar condition your dogs?
2: Um, I think, um, really the number one thing is it's the most humane way to continue into advanced training and what we do in our circle, Bob, for one, you know, just for the general person, you know, it's always an extension of a leash. So if your dog's off a leash, um, they, they get in dangerous way. You can get, you know, get a re- good quick recall. If your dog refuses to listen to you, you have ways to make your words mean something to them at a greater distance. So, um, number one for us is it's, it's to me, it's the best humane way to extend advanced dog training, um, and what we're trying to accomplish in the long run here, and what we do. So,
0: absolutely,
2: um, that's kind of wh- why I do it.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I'm the same. I think it, it's the safety of the dog. It it gives you really good timing on your corrections or motivators, right? Like compulsion right. motivator. Um, cool man all right now this is where you're gonna let it rip (laughs) start to finish hey how about that kent cartridge baby they got that fast steel 2.0 hey if you're not in the market for bismuth i get it but fast steel 2.0 is a great option for you and your dog to get more ducks in the bag strap them up strap them in kent fast steel 2.0 let's go From the duck blind to the holding blind, baby, it's Purina, the food that fuels the truck of lone duck. The big dogs are eating the 30-20 Purina Pro Plan Sport. We do the chicken blend. I've also had friends that have super success on the salmon blend, but it's a great food to fuel the athlete that gives you their all, so why don't you give them your all? Feed Purina. How do you collar condition a dog?
2: Okay, so I'm going to start with what the dog knows before I even think about collar conditioning, okay? So uh, the number one thing the dog's got to be doing is, of course, it's got to be retrieving great um, for us in the retrieving game. I, I don't do it if they don't have great retrieving desire, but my obedience is formalized. And so we, I do sit I, when I'm doing obedience. I pull up on the leash say sit when um, the dog's butt hits the ground, the leash goes away. I say sit again. So it starts building right there. The pressure is under that dog's neck at that point. You with me? Yep. So I start with that, and I go through all of my obedience. So the obedience is formalized. I am um, a vast majority of the way through force fetch for me. Um, and I think in force fetch, is just a continuation of sit – sit you know the first time he said sit he was pulling a leash on my neck right the second time he said sit my butt's on the ground the leash went away the force fetch is responding to pressure conditioning the dog to respond to pressure you with me so yep. those are kind of my two prerequisites and then i come in and 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 e-collar condition at that point um so what i do i like to start with sit sometimes i start with here it depends on the dog um, if you can't catch a dog, I may call a condition before to hear. maybe before I even force fetch. Are you with me? But yeah. most of the time I try to refrain to after. So I start with sit and I use it the same way I use the leash. I go um, sit, continuous pressure. When his butt hits the ground, it goes away. I say sit again. Okay. Yep. So I start there and, um, Man, I, I like to start, you know, you hear you hear people say, well, I start at a four, no matter what, or I start at a five, or I start at a one. I kind of start at something that I don't think is going to just totally rattle the dog just to see what kind of response I get. So um, my very first time that, that I do that, I don't want them to just totally get rattled. And uh, one, one thing I forgot on the prerequisite is during formalized obedience and during force fetch they wear the e-collar i put it on them every day leading up to this process so i don't just come out today said all right today by golly we're e-collar conditioning." so let me strap you up they have worn this the, the previous two months or three months leading up to this point or however how long that time is it's relevant per dog but so i come out sit continuous the time and about time I go sit, I bring the pressure in, butt hits the ground, pressure goes away, I say sit again. All right, so in a session, I you know, I may try to get six, seven, eight, nine corrections. If I get an adverse reaction, it may be two or three. You know, there's no cookie cutter way to do this. You got to have a little bit of dog sense and read the animal. That's your collar condition. So that's how I do and then I come up. So, like, if I go with a with a medium two, Bob, all right, and I get a good response, dog really didn't even acknowledge it. I may go to a medium four next. Okay,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I, I don't just just stair step up. Once I get a couple of responses there with a with a lower deal, and I know that they're not just going to totally you know freak out on me, I will I will go up, and I go up in fairly large increments. Okay. Um, that's just me. Now I like to I like to take it on up. I'm not saying a high seven or none of that, but you know I like to get it up to where they definitely are getting a good response to that. They they are showing me that they clearly understand how to respond to the pressure. And I is that
0: session one or is that the fifth time, fifth session of set?
2: Um, I, I'm gonna say I would do sit for three sessions total because mm-hmm. they're gonna start lagging. Right. After one or two sessions, really, you know? Yep. So um, that first session, I may go from two to four. Okay. And, and I may come out on that next session and I may go from, I may start at a three and go to a five. And it just depends. If that dog is very reluctant at a, at a three, I may hang around there for that day or bump down to a two. But really, what I'm looking for is the response. It, the two and the five is irrelevant. Or the two and the seven or the three and the four, all that's irrelevant. How is the dog responding to the pressure? Is what I'm looking for. Okay. Is he is he acknowledging that he understands? And if he doesn't, that's when you probably should back up or you know, hit pause and say, All right, man, I'm really I'm really not seeing a good response, I'm not seeing what I want to see, so I missed something. So I'm gonna back up and do that. So I go through sit. That's probably three days. They're going to be lagging pretty good on day three. And um, at that point, I will start with here. Mm-hmm. All right. And I do it the same way. The dog's out in front of me. He's sitting here continuous. When the dog's coming to me, I let out. Say here again. Oh, good boy. Good. All right. I treat it the same way. I'm not a knicker on this. I don't do a ton of nicking here. I'm going to use some continuous pressure so that the dog learns how to make that pressure go away or respond to that pressure. Um,
0: Can I and, ask a quick question to elaborate I, I, more?
2: Absolutely, yes. I mean, I don't want to just burn through it. I want to elaborate. So you help me elaborate.
0: Yep. So when you do, you sit the dog down and walk away from it on a check cord?
2: Yes. All this is on check cord.
0: Yep. yep. Do you have anybody holding the dog back or an apparatus to hold it back? Or are you having the dog sit and quote unquote stay until you call it?
2: Right. Yeah. I just put them on a remote sit, okay. and then and I'll, I'll give them a tug with 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 the can the tug and the collar come in at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not one of these guys that puts back pressure and cock conditions are here with a, somebody holding the dog back. I don't okay. do that okay um i just haven't found i haven't found where that it means all of that much to me um but you know you get some you get some nicks you mean some 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 corrections there calling them to you and you also get some for lagging mm-hmm. too so you know if a dog starts lagging on me here and it's the same thing continuous get them, get up beside you good, good, you know, and, and, and let him know that, hey, that means get your butt up here and walk beside me, get out from behind me. So yeah. I will call a condition for, on here for a couple of days also. Mm-hmm. So, And then I come back and I do mixed commands for a couple of days. I may get a few few corrections with sit. I may get a few with here in the same session. Are you with me? Yep. Um And I like to do that. So it's multiple commands that they got to respond to, not just um, one. Okay, putting it all together. So um, ask me some questions about that. I'm sure I skipped something that's important.
0: No, you're good. So, So you start with sit. Now, I guess one question I would have to dive in just a hair deeper is like, what I would find is someone would maybe ask, if you've told that dog sit, and used collar and he knows I should be sitting how much of a wiggle room or time frame do you see the dogs like I'm feeling collar stimulation I should be sitting Versus, I'm getting pulled and I should I be sitting still or should I be hurrying up to here like is there any time where you find that there's confusion in the dog
2: right I guess I mean I don't want to say that I never do this but I'm going to say that If I put a correction on one to sit, I will almost always go back to him and leave. Okay. Um, It's still that balance of I'm not calling you off of a remote sit every time, just like in obedience. You know, if I tell you to sit and I walk away from you, I may call you to me, or I may go back to you and let you leave with me. And car condition is still the same way. Um, Okay. So I'm saying if I said, you know, sit, sit, and then I walked away from you. I'm just about always going to walk back to you and let you leave with me. Okay. Uh, and then, then I may sit with no pressure. I'm talking mixed commands here in collar conditioning. Exactly. Sit with no pressure. Then I may walk out and do here. Good. Here. Come on. You know, gotcha. I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't slam both of them consecutively there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good clarification. I agree. Okay. No, okay. Great
2: question. Cause I didn't, I didn't think about that. That's a great question
0: yeah I almost never call a dog offset sit. I almost always go to him, and that's why I use back pressure like you were saying. So I have a helper hold the dog back and or tie him to my truck. you know, like Blaine Blaine was on. he's another one in our segment. right um, you know, we tie him to the truck hitch and reel him in that way. um But yeah, no, that's good. All right, so after sit in here what's your next step
2: um i just do mixed commands
0: okay so no no
2: nope, i don't call a condition to heal i just let that happen over time okay so like i don't do i don't do a dog out in front of me or nothing heal till it comes all the way into my side or none of that no i do right. not um i may do like i may be walking and if a dog gets out in front of me i may put some uh, some low, be low, low, continuous, you know, heel until he gets back. But I don't do it from out in front of me all the way to heel.
0: Okay. What age are you starting collar conditioning on average?
2: I'm going to say uh, eight or eight months or so, probably.
0: Okay. Uh, so you're getting dogs in at six months. Yeah. You're doing, you're building retrieve drive. You're teaching a bunch of other things. You're doing yeah. obedience on leash.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: not that this is a force fetch course, but because you integrate force fetch first before collar conditioning, are you using ear pinch or toe hitch?
2: I, I'd use ear pinch. Um, okay. In special cases, we do some toe hitch too. Um, and to me, at the, about this time in force fetch, usually when I start my collar condition is uh, when I, I may ask a dog to fetch and he goes down and he's kind of slow about it. But if I got my hand on him, he's real snappy. You with me? So yep. that's the time I'm like, all right, it's time to collar condition. I'm going to continue with my force fetch. Mm-hmm. And then I'll – and I get done with my collar condition, I'll come back and e-collar fetch.
0: Okay. Yeah, that would be – that was the next question is after, after they understand sit, turns – the pressure's on, they sit, pressure's off. Here, pressure's on, pressure's off. Now you're saying, okay, you understand ear pinch and fetch. Now ear pinch collar bang. Right. Yeah. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. And it's it's all the way to I mean, just just like um with force fetch, it's just like sit. It's all the way until he hits the ground, right? With mm-hmm. force fetch, it's all the way until the bumper's in his mouth.
0: Agreed. Me too.
2: You with me? Yep. It's mm-hmm. all the same. Everything from day one pulling up on the rope until this is all the same. Um
0: they understand it. It's black and white.
2: They understand. That's right. And I, I'm I'm maybe going off further on down the road. Collar conditioning is a continuation all the way through the T pattern and through swim by. Mm-hmm. It's all collar conditioning, you know. On swim by, if I cast into the water out right there and give them a couple of casts and they don't get in, I'll walk around, grab the bumper, toss it in the water. I'll walk back. I'll, I'll cast them over into the water. And I'll hold continuous pressure till all four feet are swimming that's right, and it cuts off when they're doing the desired response yep um and and the, it, all the way through the t that's why it's so important for them to understand up front you know it, you know if you get a no go when you're forced into a pile and you, you know the hold stop it on if you don't stop on a whistle it all builds up on that so um. I don't think collar conditioning is done in seven days. I think it's those, from once you start it, those next couple of months of training is really when the dog starts to understand it.
0: That's so it's funny that you say that. Cause that's exactly the same answer Blaine gave, you know, oh, really? I, yeah. If you have an obedience dog in your kennel, you know, a golden doodle or something, you know, <laughs> yes. it's an don't
2: do them around here. Bad. <laughs> well, bad experiences with those things.
0: I hear you. But, uh, it it can, you know, for the basics, right? Sit here, whatever, you know, that may be where they understand those commands and whatever, but it's that elongated process for the next several months where they're learning compulsion, turning pressure off, complying quickly motivates them to do it. Right. Absolutely. Um, and that, that's cool. So, One of the questions I want to ask, too, is in those moments of sit and hear, how do you proof it to know that this dog truly does understand what does the dog look like? How does the dog react to proof that it understands what this collar feeling on my neck means?
2: How do do you proof it? Uh, Well, I mean...
0: I guess I'll give an example of how I proof it. It's like when I do here, right? I do the back pressure deal, but then after three or four sessions of that, I'll have a long line or a check cord on them in the airing yard. And when they're monkeying around with the other dogs, I can practice calling them to me with some collar to say in that distracted moment, you hear me, you see me, you understand me. And now you feel collar pressure. Are you responding properly to it. Right. Um, and so that would be like my proofing of no matter what happens, you hear me and you feel that thing, you're coming.
2: Right. You, Bob, you know me, I'm a more of a shoot from the hip type of guy. I, I don't know if I ever do something like that to proof it. I just, you know, I pay attention to the dog and how's the dog responding. You know, is he, is he wanting to bolt and go to the truck?
3: Right. Want to run
2: back to the kennel or is the dog have a maintained a happy attitude and, and and the response that we're looking for, you know, um, they, if if I say sit and boom, and they're slamming down right there, and and they're happy about it, and all, I really feel like the dog is understanding. I guess the proof is in me watching the dog. I guess I, I yes. don't necessarily and it and as it can continues on in training, I guess you you proof it out more as that goes through there. But I don't necessarily do like in an yard or any situation like that. I guess.
0: Yeah. You no, know, good, good answer. Um, so the, so to digress just a hair on the answer of when you know, it's finished, it's getting that quick response to the command and trying to beat the collar pressure.
2: Absolutely. hundred percent. You know, is it, the dog responding in a manner that, that you desire.
0: Yeah. yeah. What do you think the benefits, you know, the, the reason this we're doing this podcast is to maybe dispel myths on the collar slash give people the confidence to do it themselves. Um, what are the benefits of training a dog with the e-collar versus not with a collar?
2: Man, I just think it's control. I mean, you're going to gain more and more and more control and more and more. I, I don't know what term I'm looking for, but maybe, um, a little bit more respect at a greater distance from you. Um, I think that is your biggest things to gain. And as you move forward in life, whether it's an obedience dog or or a field trial dog or a hunt test dog, you know, control is going to be the, you know, at, at the end of the day, if you don't have control, you, you're you not going to pass. You're not going to go out and be successful, and your dog's not going to behave. Right so I, get I, that did I answer that question right,
0: yeah, absolutely, dude, yeah, I think it just gives you that ability to have the dog respond when you need it to,
2: right absolutely, and I guess control is that's a good way to um to to define control is is the dog responding the way you need it to um when you need it to,
0: yeah, yeah. not when it not on the yeah. tenth time, right,
2: yeah that's right, that's right, yeah.
0: Exactly. Anything else you'd like to add about using a collar, the art of the stimulation levels and anything like that?
2: I, I just think the number one thing, I guess, is don't abuse it. Don't teach with it. You teach, you teach, you teach, you teach, and then you reinforce it with the collar. Um, you got to give the dog plenty of opportunity to, to fully understand what's going on before you start, you know, pulling into it with, with the e-collar. So I guess that would be one big thing is don't abuse it. Um, Make sure the dog has a full understanding. I think um, that's what gives that stigma that you were talking about. People that don't necessarily understand how to teach a dog to respond and the dog doesn't know. And boy, that's a mess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's where that
2: stigma comes from.
0: I think so too. I forgot to ask Blaine this. I'm going to write it down now so I don't forget. But a, a, another question we get often is like, my dog's super soft. I don't think I should collar condition. What do you? What do you? How would you handle a soft dog?
2: I've I've never met one that that couldn't respond to a one when taught properly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, we could put a one on our ear, and you can hardly feel it. Um, uh, you just got to feel like, you know, what level of stimulation gets the desire response? That's what you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess if a dog is that soft, that, that little bit bothers him and it, it, it stops his retrieving desire and all that type of stuff, then maybe that's just not the dog to do what you're looking to do. You know, sometimes you got to come to terms and, and grasp that, but, um, Ray Volt says, you know, as much as how does he word it? As much as needed, but as as much as necessary, but as much as needed, or something like that. I forgot. Yes. He's better with his words than I. Am. <laughs> but basically, only use whatever you need to get the desired response. Yeah. And a lot of times, if you teach them properly, you don't need to go up a ton to get that. I think yeah. people, you know. As they move through training, you know, they skip steps, and 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 there's there's maybe a hole there, and then they teach that step with the collar. I've done it. I'm sure you have too, Bob. And I want to, you know, yeah. throw rocks at you, but well we all have. Yep. And um, you know, I think most,
0: I think the most poignant thing that you said about this is you're teaching first they understand what's being asked of them first and then you're overlaying it with the collar. Right. And so maybe if your dog is quote unquote soft and you're overlaying the collar, they're still figuring out what that command actually meant. So you may step back and say, let me work on this for a few more days. Right. And then move forward with the collar again.
2: Absolutely. And and I, I want to go, I'm going to use your word and digress a little bit. And talk about, you know, I talk about sometimes I'll go to two to a four and get to get up into the higher levels of the simulation. And for me, you know, I've been asked, well, why do you feel the need to do that? The dog is doing it. You know, he's sitting there with a two. Well, I mean, there's going to come a time down the road where you're going to probably have to use more than the two in the field for something. So I don't want the first time that dog feels a four or a five to be out there at 150 yards. Does that make sense? So
0: I, I do the same thing.
2: That's why I go on up into the, my higher levels of stimulation and in, in e-collar conditioning. I
0: so, do the same thing. I don't want them to get, I want to find where their comfort level is and I want to work there a good bit, but I want to scale up so that they don't feel that stress later in life. They learn that it's okay and it's going to come back down and life's still good and they understand it but they're not getting, like you said, it's not three months down the line where they no-go you and you go.
2: Yeah, you spin the top off of it. And, <laughs> you know, and most of the time it doesn't take that on a no-go.
0: Sure, exactly. I mean,
2: I've been guilty of doing that, but I, I'm way more apt these days to, to you know, bump them with a, tickle them with a little low four instead of a high five, you know, on a, on a no-go. Yeah, um, But, yeah, I, I don't – that's why I go up because I don't want – later on down the road for the first time that dog gets up into some higher stimulation to be, you know, out in the field away from you. All right. Now, more than ever, my corrections out in the field are a lot lower. Um, A lot of tickles with twos and threes and little, you know, not big heavy burns out in front of me. Um, I used to be heavier handed out there. um, And now I do not. I try to teach them more. And then, you know, come back. And I think you get a more of a, a happier dog to be out in front of you working. Um, they're more eager to go. They're more eager to, to to go out there and make a mistake. It's okay to show them the right way. And they, the first time they make a mistake, they don't get the uh, sledgehammer dropped on them, you know?
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. Cool, man. Anything? I may, be,
2: I may be rabbit trailing there or something.
0: No, I think you hit it on the head. Anything you'd like to add to to finish this off?
2: Uh, I'm sure I'll think of something when I get back down to the kennel. You know I mean? Like, dang, I should have said that. So
0: that would have been a good one. Dang. That
2: would have been a good one.
0: Absolutely. Well, everybody, Adam Campbell from Campbell's Hillside Kennels and the Dog House Podcast. Check them out there. Adam, thanks Sorry. for taking time out of your day, brother.
2: Bob, I always enjoy uh, giving you some of my time, brother. Appreciate you and uh, Kevin and, and 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 all you guys up there in New York. Thanks, be, be safe headed south when you when you get headed this
0: way. Thank you. Hope to see you down there. All right, buddy. See
2: ya. See you.
0: All right. Awesome. That was Adam's perspective on collar conditioning. A lot of cool insight from him and some differences that you'll see between Blaine and myself and Oscar. Um, now we've got Oscar Mora from Elevated Canine Academy in California. He is the protection sports specialist and pet obedience trainer in la bad to the bone uh let's get into it with oscar all right when you're looking for supplies to help you and your dog train we've got you covered it's lone duck outfitters.com it's a no-brainer you can google it no biggie link's going to be in the description to make it even easier whether you need bumpers launchers, e-collars, swag, lone duckoutfitters.com, Check it out. We appreciate all your support. All right, we got Oscar Mora, elevated canine out in California. How's the weather out there today, brother?
3: Good, man. Uh, uh, a little bit sunny today. It was good. A little, oh, a little yeah. fresh. Not bad. Yep.
0: We had pouring rain, sleet, and uh, hail.
3: Bro, we never get that much rain, but we've gotten rain for like the last month, and I hate it.
0: Oh, there's nothing worse than working dogs in the rain. Uh, But we're gonna talk about your process of collar conditioning. And maybe just give everybody a 30 seconds of your background in the protection sport world, and your business in the pet world, and then jump into why we collar condition.
3: Yeah, so basically, I mean, I got into the sport dog world uh, in 2009, with my first dog, who was a Connie Corso. And, you know, I thought I was gonna do everything with this dog. But she didn't pan out. She didn't have the right genetics. And then I got another corso. And I was like, this is going to be the one. I'm going to take him to the highest level of each sport. And that didn't pan out because genetics are genetics. But I did get to title him. Um, and, th- and then my latest dog, his name is Guapo. And you know, we've done a couple, a couple regional championships and one national. Uh, we won a couple regional championships. And then we did one national where we placed in eighth under, uh, uh, you know, behind some, some of the top trainers that I look up to. So that was pretty cool. But, uh, that's kind of what the, you know, my sport background, uh, consists of.
0: And then your business primarily is family dogs, pet dogs, and working them through the obedience and being a nice family member, right?
3: Yeah, man. So we started back in 2016, uh, just myself, just, you know, I had a regular job and after work I started, I took on some uh, pet dog training stuff. And now I am blessed to say that I have a team of, you know, 12 trainers. And, you know, so we get to help a lot more people. And, uh, yeah, man, so that, that's what we do here in L.A. And I have one guy in Dallas. And uh, we're just trying to, you know, trying to help as many people as we can.
0: Cool. And uh, fun fact, one of your employees got to train a lone duck puppy at Yellow Lab out in Cali. So Oh, yeah,
3: cool. I, I heard it was an awesome pup. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I heard
0: actually, he was he was good. Me. That's cool. So now, why do you collar condition a dog?
3: So, I mean, just from the start, when when you're working against, you know, competing motivators, uh, especially in the sport dog, or the protection sport dog world, um, which I'm sure it's, you know, not different for you guys, uh, the dogs really tend to, um, you know, want to get away from you because what is away from you, which is the bite, is so uh, exciting for the dog and everything is going to be off leash. So, you know, we got to make sure that there's some way that we could communicate with the dog. Mm-hmm. And that is why the reason, one of the reasons why I use the e-collar and I really like using the e-collar. Do you use them on the pet dogs with your clients? We do, especially for, um, you know, the, the thing with, with, uh, I feel like there's less conflict. When it comes to, um, you know, correct corrections, if done the right way, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, like every tool, it could be used the wrong way. And I I know everybody says the same thing and there's levels to it and this and that, whatever. But at the end of the day, I feel like if you do the work the right way, you lay the right foundation is a lot easier for for us to translate it to the owner. Um, So I, I just yeah, we use the e collar with our pet dogs for a certain program. Uh, the one. So we have a three-week program that's just on leash, and then we have a five-week program, and that one we start using the e-collar.
0: Very good, cool. So in essence, to wrap up, why you collar condition? It's to have control of the dog when they're away from you.
3: Yep, that's it. Uh, I mean, I I made a video earlier today with the prong collar, and in in a sense, it's a, I, it's the same thing. I don't really need my e-collar, uh, especially with like my 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 older dog WAPO. I could take him out. And sometimes I don't care how much proofing and everything you've done. They are animals. And it's like an insurance thing for me. Like I have it on him because I want to make sure that I am. I'm responsible for my dog and I want to make sure that I am in control. Every time.
0: So you're the third person today that it's going to be me, you, and two my of my buddies so you're the third interview today on this and every single one in the why talked about safety for you and your dog
3: it it's a must man it's it's a must and and I just feel like again it's the easiest way to communicate at even a very low level uh yep. I, and I think that's the mis, that's the the thing that people don't understand that you could be using at a very low level and the dog understands it like yo I need to get back um You know, I, as a matter of fact, with my dog, I, I I just use the vibrate and he knows that's a recall, come back to me. So if he's, you know, around getting away from me, I just hit the vibrate and he comes right back to me.
0: Beautiful. All right. Uh general age that you would start, like, I know that especially in the pet world, you might get a five-year-old, whatever, and a six-month-old and the age may, the ages may range and vary too much. But in essence, in general, what's a good age that people can think about starting collar conditioning?
3: I think more more than the range, I think it's what understanding does the dog have. What what does the dog understand? Does he does he understand the leash? Does he understand you know what pressure is? Does he understand what you're asking of him? So there's a, a few things for me that I like putting into place before I put the e collar on. Usually doesn't doesn't have, like on my sport dogs. I probably won't use an e collar until I don't know ten. 10 months to a little bit over a year, uh, who knows on pet dogs, uh, we have used them. You know, I I would be lying. If I said we didn't put them on younger dogs, we have, however, again, there has to be, for me, there has to be something in place before I put the collar on.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. They've got to understand what your what the tasks are to then overlay with the collar.
3: Yeah. Let me, let me go. uh, And if I could go back on this, I had a guy who, um, he didn't even know what knee eco- call Man, he put a bark collar on a Chihuahua, and
1: bear, I probably would too.
3: <laughs> okay, but the dog, but it was like the dog had no clue what was going on, and he just like like was afraid of everything after that because there's levels to it, and he didn't properly condition this dog to that. And for this dog, it might work for other dogs. You might put it on one time, and they understand. This dog, man, it was it really messed this dog up. Gave him PTSD. So you know, there's 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 bad ways of doing it too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, dude, no doubt about it. Not everybody's uh as as smart as they should be about it. That's for sure. Um, all right, walk me through your process of, and and you can take it as make it as simple as possible. So you get a dog in training. What are the prerequisites? To collar conditioning, and then how do you start it? What's the first command you use?
3: So it's different for pet dogs and for my sport dogs. Which one would you like to hear? Both then. Okay. So for the for the sport dog, I want to make sure that I start conditioning the collar early, but I don't I don't use it. I just put it on. Um, it's on all the time, uh, for at least a couple months before I even start using it. Why is that? Because I want something. I want it to be just normal for the dog. When I do start using it, I want to make sure that it's only paired to whatever I'm going to use on the day of trial. So, for example, for IGP, my e-caller is only activated. It's it's only going to work when my first saver comes on. And that first saver comes on before I enter the field. So, he knows that when the first saver comes on, that means the e-caller is going to be working. All right Now, so for a rec, if say for my sport dog uh, from the beginning, how do I start it? Well, there's things in place. He has to know what a yes marker is, and that has to be charged in a way where he, he really wants me to say yes, he really wants what I have. I create a lot of drive for that. I create a lot of desire for work before I add any STEM. The STEM, before it's an e-caller, it's gonna be a, a prong collar. Mm-hmm. The dog knows what a place board is. I teach the place. I guide the dog to the place using pinch. As soon as he gets there, I say yes, and I pay right away. All right? Now, once the e collar comes on, I have an e collar on, and I have a pinch collar on. I guide the dog to the place. At the same time that I say yes, I give a little bit of stim. Okay. At the same time. So I charge, and I stem at the same time boom. And it's almost like a like a jolt. It's very low, but the dog, he, he notices it, but he gets paid at the same time. So I want to create some type of positive association to this. All right. And I do that over and over and over. And then what I do is I just move the stem to just a little bit before my yes marker. It could be a second, right? And I start pushing it back and back and back. At some point, I'm going to get to a point where I just stay there. And I use a little bit of stim where the dog understands that that means he has to go to the place because the yes is going to come. That's right. And okay. I, so I'm basically trying to just teach the dog that the faster you get to the place, the faster the yes marker is going to, is going to come on. All right. Cool. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure I teach the dog to go away from me instead of coming back to me with okay. the e collar, Because I, I feel like if I start doing it for recall, like a lot of people use it for recalls, which for pet dogs, it would be a recall. Uh, but for sport dogs, I don't want to I don't want to make him feel like he needs to be next to me. You know what I'm saying? Like he always has to be next to me. I want to make sure that he knows that this could go go away from me. And then at some point, it's going to also mean come back to me. OK, Um. so that's that's the way that I condition it to, in a, to make it somewhat positive on the dog to where he doesn't see it. That's basically to add gas, what we call yeah. more speed to the behavior. Yep.
0: You're creating compulsion. The quicker I get there, the quicker it turns off, the quicker I get paid
3: exactly and yep. you know, and again, they tend to they tend to they tend to really pay attention that as soon as they feel that they go and then I hold them back. I give the command, do some stim, he gets there, I reward he comes back to me, he gets paid very good. that's how I condition the caller,
0: okay, so at, so you start with the place command, yes. What's your next step?
3: My ne- Once I know he understands how to turn off pressure, I could do it for, say, a front. I have two leashes on him, and I'm going to do the same thing for the front. I'm going to add a little bit of resistance, pulling back back on the collar. And as soon as I say come or to a front, which I say viens, I add a little bit of stim. He gets there. He gets paid right away with the yes marker. Okay. It's just going to add speed to every single behavior.
0: So are you when you give the stim, you know how so one of the ways we do it is uh we give the command, we deliver stimulation, that and then the, we give the command again. So here, stim, here, sit, stim, butt his ground, sit. And so you're just like,
3: I don't really know I'm why. Do, I'm oh. I'm doing I'm doing that without the last command. Okay. But but that's because I the dog for sure, like I it's that has been drilled to the dog. So he should know what be what come means right okay. to the front. Right. So yes. I, I'm however, if he if it didn't work, then I would probably repeat the command, make sure he does it and I'd pay him. Yeah. Thousand percent.
0: Cool. Um when you pay the dog, are you using different things and probably depends on the dog whether that's a food motivator or a, a ball or something? Yeah.
3: Yeah, it depends on wh- whatever the dog enjoys more. Usually, it's the ball. When it co- like Malinois, is usually the ball. Um, you know, go- going back, th- this is a very interest. It's, it, you know, because once you're preparing for competition, like one, I used to, I made the mistake of uh, relying a lot on my e collar in the past, and I went to go train with a guy named Mike Deal. He's he's a he's a world competitor, uh, somebody who I call a mentor, and and he saw me train my dog. And, and I walked off the field, and the dog looked good. And he said, hey, man, how many times did you correct the dog with the e-collar? And where did you correct them? And I had no clue. I couldn't explain to him where. Yeah. And he said, because I saw you using it a lot, and I don't think the dog needed it a lot. And if you're going in there and you do need it in that many, as many times as you, you use it in this, in this session, then you're probably not prepared for trial. He's like, on the next one, why don't you just give me the remote? I said, "All right, cool." Gave it to him. I walked off. The dog did a very clean. route. I mean, the dog was trained. I did. I walked off. He said, "I corrected him here, and I corrected him here," and that was just to because uh, I saw him slow down on one of the turns over there. So I made sure on the next one I corrected him to speed him up,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: that's all I. That's all I used. And I was like, "Oh shit!" So that was for me. That was the realization. Like, oh, this is a very good tool, but I can't abuse this tool. I got to right. use it. I got to use it in certain places that I'm also going to use it in comp that we're in competition. He, if he feels that maybe I'm going to push him here, he's going to start speeding up there. You know, I don't don't know if that makes sense.
0: It, It does to me. It does to me. Um, I feel like, and I don't want to digress too much, but I feel like a lot of us in our sport, we use the collar a lot, you know, sitting on a whistle, slow, sit, tweet, Nick, tweet, all of a sudden you're doing all these things when the collar comes off at the trial or the test, you know, those slow sits that you would get a Nick in there or, or, you know, continuous, but whatever um, it's not there and it's not there and it's not there. And a, the dog kind of realizes it, but B you're realizing it like, Oh crap. You know, I really was, the dog really wasn't ready for this stage. Right. Because I, I was manufacturing, the behaviors because of the collar before it became a habit to where the dog does it 98% of the time without needing it.
3: Right. And, and, and I think dogs are smart, man, after the, and that's why I think the either like with my dog Rogan, it's, I take the collar off. I actually posted a video on TikTok. I have an e-collar on him and the way I activate him is I take the e-collar off and that's, that's the, the signal that we're about to start working. So in training, I'll have two collars on, I'll take one off. He still has one on. So he, <laughs> and, and, and and so you got to play this because dogs are so smart. They're going to figure it out. They're going to know. And after, after three behaviors where he's usually getting corrected and he's not, then it just starts going downhill, especially in, in protection. And for us in protection sports, because the decoy is so valuable to the dog. And, <laughs> you know, I will give you a quick example, man. Like I, I, I competed back to back, and the first day it was like a perfect routine, right? It was he just killed it. The next day, he was doing really good, and I don't know if it was because he was getting tired or what, but on, I recalled him once, and usually he goes between my legs. And this one time, he came onto the heel position. Usually in training, I would correct him for that right away. Well, there I can't, right? And I felt like at that point he understood, I, <laughs> and I and I started losing him a little bit. So and yep. I started, so. And man that's that's how smart dogs are so we have to like outthink them a little bit you know I agree. Um, but anyways let's touch know, base on changing, but.
0: I know let's touch base on your pet dogs and and the collar process because these dogs have to walk nice on a leash you know sit and lay down at a coffee shop talk to me about your process and your your uh, employee's processes for collar conditioning them
3: yeah so obviously there's there's different we could extinguish behavior too with an e collar and create superstitious uh you know behavior towards certain things so if for example if the dog is having issues with digging in the yard and i'm gonna have to sit inside with the camera looking at him until he starts digging and i'm gonna correct them that is gonna be somewhat of a for me a higher correction like stop that right now you know what i'm saying or if he's like counter surf, that means like stop right now. We're going to extinguish behavior. That is that is one way of using the collar. Meaning something happens when you, you know, put something in your mouth that you're not supposed to, and you get corrected. I can't do that anymore. Right. That's one way that we use the collar.
0: But you the have to way, first. What happened? You have to teach the collar first, right?
3: Yeah. So I mean, look, man, for for those type of behaviors, I feel like. Since you're in control, you could turn it like you could literally turn it off. And I don't feel like for that type of thing you have to condition the collar in the sense of like you wear it all the time. Um, I feel like it could leave a lasting impression on the dog ju- if you do it the right way. Just the the location sure. he's gonna put, he's gonna go. It's it's you know kind of like how they do snake avoidance type of training.
0: Yep. Yeah, um, I do for my pet dogs, the counter surfers. It's we just call. I call it liquid hot magma. As soon as two paws touch that thing, yeah.
3: And so, um, and so, and and that's that's one way of using it. The other way would be, you know, for recalls. Awfully, you know, when you're doing recalls and all that. And we use the long line a lot. So, yep. you know, basically, we've already we've already conditioned our markers. They know what good means. They know what yes means. And they all. And again, we go back to the prompt. That's why our three weaker. We only use either a slip leash or a prong collar. And then if they wanted a five week at about week two, we, put, we start putting the collar on.
0: Very good. We don't when, use
3: it, but we just start putting it on just so he understands that it, it could be on, you know,
0: are you and still so the, doing place work first with those ones?
3: So it depends on the dog. If it's a dog that is, you know, Velcro, like a Velcro dog that wants to be next to you all the time, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it to come to me. I would teach it to more go away from me because staying next to me is going to be, it should be easy. So how do I correct you? You know, they, most of the time they want to be next to you. So with them, I'll use it to a place like, Hey, go to a place. And it would be very similar to what my sport dog is. However, instead of using a terminal marker and releasing from the place, I would go and pay on the place to make Mm -hmm. sure that they want to be there a lot more, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's very similar.
0: How do you, how, what does your process look like on the dial? So finding the working level and moving up and feathering it, how does it, what does that look like?
3: Yeah, I kind of already have like my, like my, I I, I kind of almost like know where I'm at um just by, by moving the dial. But I don't really look at numbers like, you know, I'm not looking, I'm literally going, one two three i see a little bit i see a little bit of you know maybe a blink and that's that's it right there that's that's the one like i just want to make sure that i see something and that's what i would use for that one of the mistakes that i feel that that we tend to do with pet dogs sometimes is that we tend to go one two three four five okay that's it and then the dog understands even though he felt some of them probably he knows that it's going to get to a point where it means a must you must do it at this point and that's almost like the cue so i do feel like with our pet dogs sometimes we got to go slightly higher so then we could go way lower because if you tend to go to 10 first and and he, once the dog understands the behavior and everything and he knows and he doesn't want and then you could go to a 3 and he goes okay cool i'm going to be here i'm at, i'm I'm good at this level I don't want it to get to a to a 10, but people tend to almost like create a callus for the dog and going one by one by one by one by one until the dog understands. Okay, cool. Now we now this is where I listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: that makes sense to me. I think we talked about that with some of the other guys is the dogs have to understand some of the higher levels, because if you need a higher level, it shouldn't be the first time they ever feel it at that level. A thousand percent if it's running across a road and you're going, well, he normally works on a 20, that should be a hard stop. That should be a hard stop. And so they need to feel some more uncomfortability and then live in their normal working level. Right. But they've got to understand that this thing. Yeah. I
3: mean, if it's going to be, if it's going to cost my dog his life, I don't, I'll put I'll, I'll go to a higher level, make sure that that does not, you know, that that doesn't happen. I mean, that's just, that's just what it is. If I feel that, you know, I have a dog that's running across the street, like I'm going to I'm going to stop. I'm going to put a stop to that right away. Yeah. So I will go to a little bit of higher level in those situations.
0: Sure. One of the things that we hear about in our world is is dogs with soft personalities. You know, they can't handle stress and pressure. Um, They crumble a little bit. Um, What's your take on collar conditioning a dog like that?
3: I feel like dogs almost get a little more confident when they know how to turn off, like they understand turning off pressure. Mm -hmm. So I work them, I work them through it, you know, and I do try to, I I do think that some of these dogs trainer like pet dog trainers. I feel like sometimes they don't do um, they don't spend enough time trying to figure out what gets this dog going. So they focus more on like, the correction rather than the reward. And I think that, and I'm going to be like, I see a lot of pet dog trainers. They, they want to pay everything with food. And my opinion, I think that play is a huge thing. So I think you got to make sure that you have a, a yin to your yang. You know what I mean? That this dog is going to, first of all, once he learns how to turn off the pressure, something good is going to come after it as well. Not just the turning off the pressure of the collar, but, He's going to get something after. So I think we need to focus on that part a lot as trainers. However, when they're e-collar trained, in my opinion, they become a little bit more confident, you know?
0: Couldn't agree more. I allow
3: allow a lot more um, once, once they understand, like, and again, it's not just going to the e-collar, but for example, if I have a dog that's soft, I tend to put them with other dogs that are confident where he kind of gets to run around and do all that. And I'll work them in that situation because he's going to act differently there than if he's just with me, because and I'm not saying every, every dog is different, but I'm saying some of the dogs, I think when you put them into a play situation with other dogs, they could come out a little bit more. And that's where I use the, that's where I use the Mm e-collar. I try not to, uh, I try not to just put the dog out and do a session where it's just pressure, 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 pressure. I want to make sure there's some way that the dog could relieve as well. And, you know, de- what do you call it? Decompress or whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah. How long do you think it takes you to work a dog where they understand the collar pressure?
3: I think if you've done the work before, like if you—if the dog understands leash pressure, it shouldn't take more than a couple of sessions where the dog goes, okay, I get it. I get this, you yeah. know? Um, I, I mean, I, I see, listen, man, dogs are smart. I see trainers. The first day the dog comes in, they put the e-collar on, they add pressure. They literally pull him onto the bed. And within five reps, the dog is running there and he's laying down and he gets it. He, I mean, he understands that when the pressure comes on, he has to get there. I, I, I see, I've seen it before. Um, however, for me, it is very obvious when it's been trained that way in my opinion i could see it in the dog right away and so that's the only reason why i try not to do it that way but is it man dogs are smart man they figure it out yo i don't like this feeling i'm gonna get there that's what he wants that's what i'm gonna do
0: yeah exactly um we so it's like we're uh, just to reiterate things we're teaching the things first we're teaching the known commands we're making them known commands it's all good there's leash pressure, prong collar pressure, there's rewards. Dog- figuring out
3: yep, figuring out a reward system. Yep.
0: Yep. And then we're overlaying with collar stim. Dog learns how to be successful and turn that off. That becomes a motivator. That builds confidence.
3: Yep. That's it.
0: Awesome, man. Um, what do you think the main benefits of, like if someone is tentative of doing collar conditioning on their dog what are the main benefits that just make you feel like push push that stuff aside buddy this is going to make the world better
3: yeah well first of all I think uh they have to feel what it what it feels like to have that on you know to feel feel what the collar is going to feel like I think they need to understand first of all like handling uh with a leash because they're going to know when the correction comes on, when it doesn't come on, so I think it just comes down to educating the the owner of what what this is. The reasons why I enjoy it, why I like the e collar, I feel like I with some dogs, I feel like with the leash, it's it's uh, it's too much um, conflict between us, and I'd rather not have that conflict. So I'm gonna use an e collar. Now, there's dogs that you know just to vibrate on the e collar is too much. So you're gonna have to figure out what works for this. Set dog but in my in my opinion in my experience the e-collar has always been the best tool over like a pinch collar or slip leash or anything like that
0: yeah no doubt about it dude anything else you'd like to add about collar conditioning that you've felt over the years have been like light bulb moments for you
3: yeah i mean i think for sure um For sure, the figuring out what the end goal is and what you're like, if you're always going to walk your dog with an e-collar, then you don't need to do this stuff, right? The whole, you know, putting on a first saver or taking off a collar. Um, But if you are using the e-collar and you are going towards competition, be smart about where you're going to be correcting your dog and how you are, how your dog is conditioned to the collar. If, if you've already laid the proper foundation before the e-collar, so Make sure, just make sure that you, uh, you know, you educate the dog before just putting the e collar on him.
0: Yeah, absolutely, dude. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I appreciate you very much. It's always good to see you, and uh, I look forward to the next yeah, time. Man.
3: Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on here. And guys, this is just my opinion of of my experience with the collar. I think that you know it's important for everybody to get out and do their own research and you know do their own training.
0: Yeah, feel it out, man. Don't be intimidated by it. It's a great tool. Yep, you got it. All right, everybody. That was my friend Oscar Mora from California, Elevated Canine Academy. Check him out on Instagram. Good dude. Super knowledgeable. Now it's my turn. Let me at him. I kind of kept my opinions out of everything. I tried to maybe say like, oh, that's how I do it. Or I feel you there but I didn't say how I do it. Now, one of the things that I thought was really cool about this episode is there's nuances and differences. Oscar coming from a different background does it a little bit differently than we do in the retriever world. And in between me, Blaine and Adam, we have differences too. Adam starts later in the dog's age and training progression. Blaine starts with sit, and I do something different. So let me explain, start to finish, my collar conditioning process, okay? So I, oh, no, let me go through the list just like I asked everyone. Why do I collar condition a dog? I collar condition dogs because it's a tool in the tool belt. To me, it's an extension of treat training. It's an extension of leash training. It's an extension of choke chains and prong collars and slip leads. It's an extension of me and it builds upon the foundation that I've built. Okay, so I've taught the dog sit. I've taught the dog to walk nice on a leash. I've taught the dog kennel or place. I've taught the dog to come to me when called. Now, I'm going to use all those commands that I've taught using treats and leashes and choke chains or prongs or whatever, and I'm going to overlay with the collar. And now the collar is going to be the extension of me when I don't have a leash on. So I can still get the dog's attention. I can still change a behavior. I can still create a correction or a motivator without a leash on. Okay. So the other why is I believe it teaches the dog how to learn. How to turn pressure off. How to become successful. And it also is a safety tool. So each one of the dudes on this podcast talked about safety. And I'm now the fourth person to say an e-collar has saved me from hairy situations with client dogs, with personal dogs on hikes in the mountains, you know, strange dogs rolling up to us, cars come in, bicyclists, whatever it is, it's kept my dog out of farm's way or a predicament that's uncomfortable because I've had that tool on to say, here, come here, give a little stem. The general age that we start dogs, I like to start around six months old. You know, Blaine made a comment about young dogs that maybe he's raised and have a good understanding and he started them as young as four months. I don't, you know, I I think the only dog I started younger was Quinn and I think in the end, it didn't make her any better or worse than anybody. So I just wait until they're six months old. You know, they're they're bigger, they're stronger. They've got more of an attention span. I've had enough ample time to teach them some leash manners, to teach them place with the treats, to teach them heal with luring of treats um, and coming when called in my yard. And if they do, they get a treat. If they don't, I just become happy and giddy and hee. <laughs> And all of a sudden they come to me and they get a treat um, or have a check cord on them and I can reel them in and give them a treat. So I think six months is about the age that I would typically start. Now, if a client dog is a year and a half and comes in and has had no training, we're going to start at a year and a half plus a couple of weeks. So I'm going to take that couple weeks, teach the dog the things he needs to learn, then overlay the collar. I'm going to jump into the benefits because I feel like the why we collar condition and the benefits of collar conditioning became the same. The benefits is out at a distance, on hikes, on walks, when you're training retriever stuff, duck hunting, you've got a tool to handle the dog and predicament or deliver a correction or a motivator. You know, back, neck, back, dig back, right? I guess that could be considered a correction, but I'm considering it a motivator. Hustle up, get out of here. Um, So the benefits is when the dog is off leash, me and that dog have a communication tool to have an understanding and have a compliance with what I'm asking it to do. I also think a benefit is it gives the dog more confidence, So a dog who has this understanding and has more freedoms becomes more confident. So now my process, like I said before, I teach all the commands first with a leash, a choke or prong collar, and I think I said treats, but treats, leash, choke chain type of thing, healing stick, I'm teaching. So they know sit, they know kennel they know here they know heel it's a loose knowledge it's not perfect but this it's there now the e-collar is going to smooth those hard edges it's the sandpaper that fine makes it more fine and smooth right and i'm going to make it better i'm going to make it snappier i'm going to make it tighter and cleaner and at the end, I'm not going to have, I think one of the things that people talk about and one of the net quote unquote negatives of collar conditioning is people think the dog becomes a remote control and they want their dog to have a personality and, you know, they don't want it to feel like it's going to get shocked when it does something wrong. No, a dog who's been properly collar conditioned does not feel that way. They still have a mind of their own They and they get more freedom and they get to do cooler stuff. And they get to do bigger stuff. And they get to be challenged and pushed and become badasses because of this tool. It's just a tool. In the wrong hands, a hammer can kill someone. In the right hands, it can build a house. Okay? So an e-collar is another tool. In the wrong hands, it can do damage. In the right hands and talk properly to the dog, it's going to take that dog to average to. Well above average. Now my process. I start with here. And the reason I start with here is because I want a dog to come to me no matter what. I can catch him in the airing yard. I can take him off leash and enjoy the hikes more instead of asking it to come to me a few times. It comes on the first time I call it. Here's how I do it. I like to do it similar to Blaine. I like to have a helper or my truck hitch, just like Blaine did, where you are creating a back pressure, a resistance where that dog has to stay put. I'm not telling it sit. I'm not telling it stay. We don't even say stay. That word doesn't exist in my world. I don't tell the dog sit and then can collar stem it to me on here. I feel like, and this was where maybe me and Adam have differences, but I feel like that dog should only have to worry about one command when I'm teaching it. So if he's only thinking about coming to me, that's all he's feeling stimulation for. He's going to learn to turn the pressure off by coming to me. So my assistant, is going to hold the leash. He's not going to tell the dog sit. He's not going to tell the dog anything. He's just going to hold the leash. I'm going to walk 25 feet to the end of the check cord. I'm going to tug on the check cord. I'm going to say wolf here. And I'm going to hold the continuous button down on a low level. And typically I start at the lowest level. So like I know a low one, most of my dogs don't feel. A high one, they might start feeling it. So I'll start with a high one. I'm going to get continuous pressure from the minute I say it until the minute that dog gets to me. And you're going to see that dog. You're going to watch that dog's body language as you bump up the incrementally to find its normal working level or its working level. Right. So I'm going to start with a high one. Wolf here, continuous, gets to me. I praise the pressures turned off and I praise the heck out of him. So now he just won the Super Bowl by getting to me and he won the Super Bowl by turning that pressure off. I walk the dog to and I don't tell the dog heel. I don't, he can do whatever he wants. Just we're walking back towards my assistant or to my truck. And I have him there with the assistant. I walk away to the end of the check cord. I'm gonna bump it up to a two low or a two medium if he didn't even feel a one high. Um Wolf here. So I'm incrementally increasing the pressure until I feel like he's feeling it. It is uncomfortable. It's not through the roof, but it's there. Now, I'm going to read the dog's body language, and I'm going to figure out maybe I scale back for a little minute here, or or, or I'm good. Day one on here, collar conditioning day one, is... In that comfort zone, it's weird to them. They're not sure about it. They can get a little funny about it, but they're doing what I'm asking. They could do things like run a big circle before getting to me. They could stand still and freeze. Those are some predicaments that you might fall into with your dog. If they stand still and freeze, pressure stays on, reel them in, praise the heck out of them, and turn the pressure off. If they do a big circle, pressure stays on reel them in, praise the heck out of them, and the pressure's turned off. So what they're learning is no matter where you go, if you stand still, it doesn't go away. If you run away, it doesn't go away. If you do a big loop, it doesn't go away. The only way to make it go away is to get to me and you get praised. In Oscar's words, you get paid. Okay? So day one, I'm going to do it maybe 10, 12, 15 times. Depends on the dog, depends on how I'm doing or feeling or whatever. But I'm not, quote unquote, beating a dead horse on it. I'm just five minutes. Day two, I'm going to start low, but way quicker work to where we ended the next day. And then I'm going to start scaling it up, similar to how Adam did it. I'm going to scale up and scale back down. I'm going to scale up and scale back down. I'm going to scale scale up and I'm going to scale back down. And then I'm going to end on the last two or three, depending on how the dog's doing on the scaled down version. Okay, so the higher the number on my collar gets, the higher the stimulation level gets. I'm hoping that the dog is starting to figure out the faster you get to me, the quicker you turn the pressure off and the quicker you get praised. Day three, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to feather it up and I'm going to bring it back down. I'm going to feather it up and bring it back down. I might give him a freebie. And see what they do. Do they slow down? Do they think like, I don't have to. I don't feel it. No, here. Deliver the stimulation. Pressure's turned on. Pressure's turned off. Okay. Um, I'm going to do this for three to five sessions. Three to five days. I don't intermix commands. So all that session is, is here. I'm not later that day doing a sit with collar. I'm not doing anything else. Just here. The next one I do is heal because here is coming to me and being by me is a good thing. Coming to me quickly is a good thing. And then heal, I feel like is a very easy to understand deal. Be by my side. Don't be in front of me. Don't be behind me. Don't be three feet to my left. So I will do, uh, you know, figure eights. I'll do 180s, like walk a straight line, turn sharply away, deliver stimulation when they're out of heel. If they're three feet to my left, I'm gonna turn to the right and I'm gonna deliver stimulation. When they get to me, pressure's turned off, good dog, and you keep walking. okay? Um, so and that is like maybe two sessions, but it's it's like a lifetime of it, right? It's but I'm only doing a little bit. I'm not hammering down on heel like I did with here. The next thing I'll do is sit. I lift up on the lead. Collar pressure, butt hits the ground. So actually, I probably would say during heel after two sessions of heel, now I'm going to start doing heel and sit and using some collar on some heel if I need to, but I'm I'm using the collar on sit. So I will start with lifting up on the collar, pressure on, butt hits the ground, leash is relaxed, collars relaxed, and praise. If they stand up, leash up. Collar on, butt hits the ground, pressure off. I'm going to scale up. I'm going to scale back down. I'm going to scale up. I'm going to scale back down. And I'm going to do sit for several sessions, short sessions. The the sessions that I do pressure, it can get more stressful and mental on a dog. So I don't do 20-minute sessions. These are five-minute sessions, okay? These are quicker. And depending on the dog, I may stick with it longer to work them through it. Or I may end sooner to reward them and play with them and give them a release, a decompress, right? So we've done here, we've done heel, we've done sit. Now I'm going to do kennel or place and I'm going to send the dog away from me using collar pressure. So they've learned that going on the kennel gets them a treat. I'm going to walk the dog towards the dog bed, mat, whatever could, you know, coranda bed, whatever you want to call it. Um, And I'm going to say kennel and I'm going to deliver a lower level stimulation. So this one, I'm not scaling up and scaling back down. Typically, I'm just using their normal working level. So let's say a, a medium two and I'm going to say kennel deliver the stimulation. And now they've learned that to comply quickly with these commands turns this pressure off. They already know kennel. They already know they get rewarded when they jump on that thing. They jump on it. Good dog. Pressure's turned off. I go up, I pet them. I take them off the thing. I go a little bit further away from the dog bed, send them to it. And so now they're leaving my side, jumping on that dog bed and staying there and turning that pressure off. And as soon as those four paws get on it, good dog. I I don't add too much crap in their brain. I don't say kennel stimulation, sit stimulation, down stimulation. No, it's just kennel right now. As we start progressing, and then I would say they're collar conditioned. I would say at that point, they understand that the tool is a motivator. The faster I do things, the faster I turn the pressure off and the faster I get praised, the faster I get a ball the faster I get a bumper, the faster he pets me, the faster I give him a, hey, hey, woohoo, good boy, right? So I'm using this tool to motivate them to comply quickly, and the quicker they comply, the quicker it turns off, and the quicker they get praised. That builds confidence. I agree with the comments that Blaine and Adam said that the collar And the quote unquote conditioning of the collar, the teaching with the collar is a long process. So, yes, do I think in 10 to 15 days that that six to 10 days that dog understands all these commands and how to turn the pressure off? Yes. But then throughout its life, sitting on a whistle on T pattern, um, leaving your side on force to a pile, force to water, swim by casting into the water and stimulating and motivating them to comply quickly and turn that pressure off is all teaching moments and building moments, force fetch with the collar. All those things are pieces of collar conditioning, but I also, I would say that the dog already understands pressure and how to turn it off from the first two weeks of of your basic obedience that you did it with them. You're just applying that collar and the understanding of pressure on and off in other circumstances of their more advanced training. And so their understanding of the collar and being successful with the collar just expands and grows. You know, I asked everybody about soft dogs. Let me take a swig here. Hold on. Soft dogs. This is like a rage topic, right? I don't want to force fetch. I don't want to collar condition my dog because they're soft. I'm afraid of ruining them. Oscar hit the nail on the head. I believe, Oscar believes, and I wish because I believe that the other two dudes would have said the same thing. A dog who has been properly trained with the collar will become less soft because they have this tool that they understand that helps them grow, that helps them get their wings, that helps them progress and get cool stuff going on in training, right? They're not getting nitpicked all the time with the leash. They're not getting nitpicked all the time with a study tab. They're not getting nitpicked with a healing stick. It's a different tool that I believe at the end of collar conditioning builds a dog's confidence and so if I have a soft dog in training my feathering of the collar right so let's just say Quinn normally works on a two but I can get her up to a five or a six and she still like functions totally fine and fun and happy and never gets her feelings hurt other dogs in training a two may be their six But a low one to a low two, that's their threshold for normal daily life and normal daily training. But I still need to let them know that a three is nothing to be scared of. So you just train the dog in front of you and you be mindful. And you have to be mindful. And Oscar hit this point. What motivates your dog? Is it a bumper? Is it a duck? Is it your praise? Is it treats? What motivates your dog you know, like you being like, hey, good dog might make a dog be feel like they're on cloud nine. Other dogs, hey, good dog doesn't do it. Hey, buddy, woohoo, get it. Oh, good dog. That may send them through the roof and that may make them feel like they just won the Super Bowl. What motivates your dog to take that timidness and softness and give them a, a boost? I want to boost you up. I don't want to bring you down. I don't want to make you a robot. I want to boost you up. I think soft dogs is an excuse for being afraid to train the dog. Every dog has the ability to understand a collar and pressure because that's how dogs communicate with other dogs. I think you cannot be afraid and you just have to train the dog in front of you and be smart and be patient. Impatience in a collar is not a good thing. And Uncle Bob's not perfect, but nine times out of 10, maybe eight times out of 10, everything should be done with patience and work the dog through it and get them to be successful and show them how to turn that pressure off and if you're hitting a roadblock back up slow down reteach it and then go back to the collar that's what i believe um i think if i were to add anything we had 3 highly qualified other perspectives on this show, and all of them use the e-collar every day. All of them believe that it's a safety tool. All of them do it slightly different, but the end result is a happy, confident, obedient dog. And so all these folks out there that are naysayers of an e-collar, they may hear like, you know, Adam used a term that we use pretty frequently in the retriever world and it's saying burn. A burn is just a continuous stimulation, but that has a negative connotation that this collar is shocking the heck out of them. But that's not really what he means. It just means a continuous stimulation. It's just maybe an old habit of things that we've said that we shouldn't use anymore. But It's got a lot of negative connotations and a lot of naysayers about e-collars and these dudes are some of the top competitors in the country. Blaine trains and boykins for Christ's sake. Those are some weird, quirky, soft, funny little animals and he collar conditions every single one and gets them to do amazing feats. So don't tell me that Your dog can't do it. Don't tell me that your dog's too soft. Oscars, collar conditioning, Los Angeles, Bichon Frisées. right? I mean, like this dude trains every breed under the sun in Los Angeles. On top of regional and national competitions for protection sports. These dogs have the ability to comprehend so much and this e-collar is just another tool to make you and your dog's relationship even better, your skill level of your dog even better and it is nothing to be afraid of, is nothing to be intimidated by and I believe if you listen to this podcast and you pick up tidbits and tips and tricks on how to do it, you're gonna be fine. And you're going to be glad you did it. Work the dog. Don't be afraid to train the dog. Build a badass. So to end the show, I want to thank the pterodactyl, Blaine Tarnecki from Hudson River Retrievers, and the Brown Dog Academy on Patreon. I want to thank Adam Campbell from Campbell's Hillside Kennels down in Alabama. And the uh, Doghouse Podcast. I want to thank Oscar from Elevated Canine Academy out in California. And I'd like to thank yours truly. I'm just kidding. Taking the time to address something that is controversial, yet we use every day and we're so comfortable with it. It's a no big deal. Um, But to teach and educate and make you feel better about the the idea of using an e-collar and how to get your dog to understand it. So I want to thank them please do me a favor, hop on Instagram and give them all a follow. Tell them you listened to this episode and you appreciated their insight. Um, Do me a solid hop on Patreon. If you enjoyed the show, the link is in the description. It's like buying me and Kevin a beer, help promote the show. And it's a great community where we do happy hours and hang out and talk dogs. Um, I enjoyed this show. I enjoyed everybody's perspective And I thought it was a cool way to get different perspectives without it being a roundtable, without it being a debate, without it being, that's how you do it. I do it this way. And we just gave each person an opportunity to talk. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace out. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram. It's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link. Join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it. Enjoy it. We did it for you, and you're helping us produce a show. So thank you so much to that community. Get in, get out, let's roll. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters.
3: Thank you.